Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy, and as always here with Managing Editor Richard Hill. Yes, I am. I'm just darting around trying to find which <laughs> which buttons to press. Uh, no, it's really good to see you, Matt. Now, we've got a really fun session today that you are going to miss. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> so, so this is a very sad thing, but uh, not to worry. Family always comes first. But you need to be here to, to help me introduce this. And we're, we're talking to, and we were joking about this the other day, a couple of friends of mine. Yes, more <laughs> friends of Richard's. <laughs> So we're, we're doing, but but uh, these two guys have written a fabulous new book, Brief Therapy Conversations, and uh, it's Michael Hoyt in uh, he's in Mill Valley in in San Francisco area, and Flavio Canistra who's in Rome in Italy, and they've you know become great colleagues, and and I I, I know them both. Uh, beautifully well. Now, Michael, he's a psychologist and he's, as I said, based in Mill Valley. He's uh, one of the originators with uh, Moshe Talman and Robert Rosenbaum of the single session theory approach. Uh, and he's got lots of awards and honors and he's he's written heaps of books. He's written great ones. But uh, this principle one, Brief Therapy and Beyond, uh, it's the handbook for constructive uh, therapies and heaps of other grades. We've had him on a number of times. Now, Flavio is in Rome. He's a psychologist based there, and he's the founder and director, co-director of the Italian Center of Single Session Therapy. He speaks over there. We met uh, again just recently at the Strategic uh, Therapy Conference in Rome, and uh, he does just wonderful work. And it's kind of a bit like Ernie Rossi and me. Uh, Michael is the senior, and Flavio coming in as the as the, as the mentee. But yeah. now they. Uh, uh, operate as equals. And this book is just a series of conversations and also a series of, uh, there's also some some textual material in there. It's, it's a great book. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing the recording after you guys have had a conversation. Before we dive in, let me remind you that this uh, podcast is also on our YouTube channel. So if you want to go to YouTube and go to at Science of Psychotherapy, you will find our YouTube channel uh, or just type in the Science of Psychotherapy and I'm sure you'll find us. And we have a stack of uh, podcasts, but also a whole lot of other material as well, including our first uh, documentary episode from our Science of Us documentary series about the gut-brain axis. So jump over to YouTube and check us out there. Yeah, and, and you know, just subscribe to it so that you can keep up with what we're doing. You'll find there's there's long form material. Uh, there's uh, you know maybe 40, 50 minutes. There's short form material, just a few minutes. We've got my um, talking about the brain, talking about behaviour, just a little five, 10 minute series. So lots of things that you can really enjoy uh, on YouTube. Come on down, check us out. People said put more videos on. Well, we did. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, over to you. Richard. All right, well, let's go off and talk to Michael and Flavio. Well, Michael Hoyt, Flavio Canistra, great friends. Uh, lovely to see you, but we're going to be talking very seriously today about some, some a wonderful new book of yours. But thanks very much for joining us. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here, Richard. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. It's an honor. And so uh, we've already uh, sort of indicated you from different sides of the world. We're, we're doing a, a, a triangle around the world. So we're we're in California, in San Francisco, uh, we're in Rome, and we're in Sydney. But we have this wonderful, wonderful new book, Brief Therapy Conversations. Uh, now, it did come out uh, towards the end of last year. Um, so we're a bit slow, uh, and apologies for that. But the first part of the book, two parts, Part one, the, the conversations. Part two, some textural stuff and expansions on other material. But what on earth brings, uh, and Michael, I know you from separately and Flavio separate. what on earth brought you two together and then led you to become these conversationalists about this, this extraordinarily important aspect of psychotherapy? So what happened was, in November 2015, I was sitting in my office at home, and bing, you have mail. And I got an email from Flavio Canistra, a psychologist in Rome. 
And I had recently retired from my very active clinical practice. I was still doing some teaching and writing, uh, but I wasn't seeing clients. And Flavio had a lot of interesting questions, and we began to have a discussion back and forth. I answered some. He asked some more. I asked him some things. He answered. We really hit it off. We, We connected. A few months later, early 2016, I was teaching a class at Mental Research Institute at Palo Alto near San Francisco. Flavio flew all the way from Rome and came to California to attend the class. And when he walked in, we looked at each other and we both said, ciao. And that was the the beginning of it. Uh, many, many years ago, multi fa, as they say in Italian, I took Italian for one year in college, but I don't really speak Italian. And so ciao was pretty much my vocabulary, uh, but it was a good <laughs> word to say, and we hit it off, and, and we began to talk more and more. Does that sound accurate, Flavio? It's accurate. It was yeah, and Flavio, you've you've been you've been working with this single session, this this uh, brief therapy idea. Uh, now, were you working with this independently before you knew about Michael, or was it you were actually uh, uh, learning from his work? Because Michael, you know, is is the you know the grandfather of this um, this idea and this these these teachings. What was what was working for you that brought you to send that email? Well, I I read Moshe um, Talman's book, Single Session Therapy, that it was translated in Italian in 1996. So I knew Single Session Therapy, but I actually thought that it was something like that because in Italy, nobody talked about that uh, anymore. Uh, but one day I sent another email to... Uh, a mutual friend, um, Michael Yakko, and I asked him uh, uh, something about psychotherapy, and I asked him who was the most important expert of brief therapy, and he said, oh, you should read all Michael Hoyt books. And uh, so I looked through the internet, Michael Hoyt, his name, his book, and capturing the moment, uh, his book with Moshe Talmon about single session therapy was the first that the internet gave to me as a result. And so I discovered uh, in uh, just, yeah, that book. In just one, I discovered that single session therapy was alive and that uh, it was um, led by the greatest expert of brief therapy in the world, <laughs> using Yahoo's words. And uh, I sent the email. It was very uh, strange for me because I never traveled out of Europe before uh, that. And in a few months, I do my first passport and my few uh, cards to travel in uh, USA. And it was great. And Michael is a great person and uh, he me a lot of things, yeah. But but you and uh, Flavio, there's a there's a common story here. Of course, I did exactly the same thing with uh, Ernest Rossi, who became my mentor, and, and oh. he was equally surprised. You know, how long have you travelled, boy? You know, <laughs> again. <laughs> so so I really relate to the value, Michael. After Flavio came to the class and we connected and we talked and we, I a couple of times then attended and lectured at one of his classes via Skype. And then I went to Italy a couple of times in in person and gave talks. Then Flavio, who is an expert, we are co-authors of this book. It's not that he interviewed me. It's an interview. It's the two of us going back and forth. Uh, But I wanted to say that uh, Flavio then uh, came one time to another time to California to be a presenter at one of the brief therapy conferences. And he and I then did a road trip. We drove from San Francisco down the coast to Los Angeles, uh, had a fun time going through Big Sur and Santa Barbara and all of that. And then another time when I was in Italy, in Italy, we drove down the Amalfi coast uh, and, and had a wonderful time and talking. And it was Flavio's suggestion. He said, why don't we, while we're driving, we'll talk and have a good time. But 
every now and then, maybe we could do a little interview. We'll talk. I'll put on my phone or my recorder. And so we had the idea. We would just have these conversations. Oh, what do you think about this? And can you give me an example of that? And how would you handle this? And so we began to talk more and more. And we, um, I guess in music, they say we laid down the tracks. We put the basics down and got it recorded. And then as we looked at it, Flavio, again, had what I thought was a brilliant, good idea. You know, we should divide this into sections that are important topics, alliance, techniques, diagnosis, the logics that underlie why we do what we do. And then, Michael, you know some of the figures in the in the history, and we should talk to some of them. You could tell us about some of them. By the way, you said that I'm the grandfather. And Moshe Talmud and Bob Rosenbaum and I together did this initially, the single session project. Now it's become quite international with people in uh, Italy, Sweden, uh, uh, England, uh, all sorts of different places. So I don't want to just, I, I don't do, deserve all that credit. Uh, that's, that's great. I'll tell you what, Michael, just as we're going, I'm thinking there's people listening today. They're great. They're hearing this wonderful story of, of collaboration and, and communication mm -hmm. and things. Uh, and we're talking about this, you know, single session therapy. Maybe we should just uh, uh, pause now uh, and just see what is single session therapy? What let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, and just clarify to people what it is we're, we're talking about here. So uh, Michael, maybe you start and then Flavia, I'd love to get your perspectives as well. So way back in the 19, late 1980s, my colleague Moshe Talmun was working in the same clinic I was in California, as was Bob Rosenbaum. And Moshe noticed, looking through charts and records, that many clients, patients only came for one visit. And we thought at first, oh, they must all be offended or angry or they dropped out or something. But we decided to call a couple hundred of these people and say, oh, we see you only came one time. Uh, why was it only one? And how are you doing? And I found that the great majority of them were very satisfied with the one visit. So the basic idea of single session therapy is therapy that the therapist and client expect from the beginning to potentially comprise a single visit. When people would come to our clinic initially, we would say to them, hi, my name is. The purpose of our meeting today is briefly to find out what problems you're having and then work together to figure out a solution. Maybe we can get that done in one visit. If we can, would you be interested in that, eh? And many people said, oh yeah, let's see what we can do. And at the end of the session, we would say, has this been enough? So it was not therapists who invented single session therapy. It was clients. We discovered it's a naturalistic process that many people come once. And then we began to study, well, who were those people who are more likely to benefit one or less likely? What were the processes that happened in the one in the one visit? So that was sort of the, the, the initial there had been a couple of reports earlier in literature of random cases. Uh, you know, all the famous therapists had a case or two and that kind of thing. But the study that Moshe, uh, Talmud, and Bob Rosenbaum and I did was the first prospective study where we saw a whole series of patients one after the other and did our little pitch. Maybe we can get it done in one. We'll schedule more if we need to. But would you be interested in saying people said yes? Uh, and then we found that more than half, 58%, elected to finish after one session, even though they could have had more. And then when we did follow-ups, more than 80% were reporting a lot of benefit and they were very happy. Uh, and when we looked through, it wasn't uh, experimental, it was correlational, but we discovered that the people who had had one session versus the people who had gone on to have more sessions, we could not find any difference in terms of severity of diagnosis or benefit and outcome or any of those sort of things. We're not saying that everybody should only have one, but for the people that chose to have one, they found it very, very useful. And this obviously is appealing to people because it's efficient, it saves them time and money, and it allows therapists to be available to the other clients who may truly want and need more than one rather than the one. So that was sort of the background of how we got into it. And, and Flavio, the, the, um, in Italy, this was... Well, almost non-existent. If I, uh, for, I remember for our conversations, that when when you started, you looked around. No one was doing this stuff. No one was thinking that this was even a 
a, a possibility. Uh, you really trailblazed it there in uh, in Italy. And, and what are the other people that were involved with you over there? Well, uh, before Haas, it has to say that uh, one or two people write uh, some internal article about single session therapy. Um, Dr. Bologna and Dr. Gerardi, but they was uh, alone in, in the years. Uh, when we start, we start um, publishing uh, a lot of articles on uh, our website, and then starting doing our research in, in Italy about single session therapy, and then also uh, to start to train people in what we learn from Michael Hoy, from Jeff Young, and from um, other studies we, we read during the years. And um, uh, at the very, uh, in, the, in the very first moment, it was, um, I think psychologists here were very suspicious. It, it's unstable because, uh, you know, single session therapy, what are you talking about? How is it possible to, to help clients just in one session? But um, I, I have to say that training after training, more and more people, uh, more and more uh, psychologists, therapists decide to try this way of doing therapy, this uh, mindset using Michael's words, um, which which you can approach um, every single session, and uh, in this very moment, I think we trained around uh, five hundred therapists in um, in Italy. Uh, someone start to open some uh, walking service. Uh, someone uh, talk about that in their clinical practice. There is um, uh, also a lot of other uh, private advertising. And of course, uh, there is a growing interest in uh, Italy and in Europe. And at the end of this year, uh, we will do the um, fourth international session therapy symposium here in Rome, which of course is a big thing for Italy and for Europe, and also a demonstration that uh, uh, both, client, both therapists and clients are interested in, in, um, in that. Uh, it's interesting now to receive phone call of people saying, hello, I want a single session therapy for my husband. You have to say, okay, I must know that. <laughs> uh, but, but the, but the conference... Add, uh, the, a couple of thoughts. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just highlight the conference there before you... I know you added, but, and we'll make uh, mention in the yeah. show notes, but that's coming up this year. So so we'll, that, that's a very important and valuable conference uh, for all our listeners in Europe particularly. Michael, uh, please, add the points. Yeah, I was going to point out that single session therapy is the idea that... It's one session at a time. It's not necessarily you'll only get one session in your life or this year or whatever, but it's approaching each session with the idea it's going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and maybe one is all we need. So it's really a delivery system or a format. It is not one particular theoretical approach. It's not just solution-focused therapy or CBT or Ericksonian hypnosis or psychodynamics or structural family therapy or even EMDR or any other particular model. It's the idea, let's see what we can get done in one. Uh, my colleagues, I wanted to read a quotation because I thought they said it well. Uh, the therapist needs to be versatile, innovative, and pragmatic, asking, what would help this patient today? Patients may need to begin a process or complete a process. They may need to take hold or let go. They may need reassurance or confrontation. They may need, they may need to look deeply into something or to shift perspective. Nothing works all the time, but what might work this time? So yeah. that, that's really uh, important. Yeah, yeah. And Sorry, yeah. sorry, Michael. I just wanted to, want to emphasize that because sometimes uh, people think one session means only one session. You get one shot and that's it and you better hit it. And that's not uh, true. So in our most, uh, before the book that Flavio and I just did, in the last conference that we held, uh, uh, it was in Melbourne a couple of years ago at, at the, the, the Bouverie, uh, 
the folks there coined the phrase single session thinking and practice. So it emphasized the idea, the thinking or the framework, uh, the mindset. Let's see what we can get done today and maybe that'll be enough. And it's remarkable how many people are attracted to this because, oh, I really want to go in and talk to somebody and get some ideas, get unstuck, get get a new direction, get some reassurance, check something out. And it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to cure, but quote marks around the word cure, cure everything forever. Uh, and a one session solves everybody's problems. But rather, the, the most frequent length of therapy de facto is one session. Actually, the most common length of therapy is zero sessions. People think about going to therapy, but never do. But yeah. among the people who decide to come to therapy, one is the most frequent length in private and in public clinics, in Europe, in Australia, there was a study with 100,000 uh, patients in Australia, and 42% chose to have one session, even though there were more available through national health insurance or whatever, however it was going to get paid. So that's a very important point, because a lot of times people say, well, what if they need more? And then the answer is, do more. But, but you do more. And you do more, but if you offer one and you frame it that way, many people, there's that old principle, uh, work expands or contracts to fit the time allotted. And if I'm going to get right down to it, Jay Haley used to ask a really interesting question. Uh, I knew Jay a little bit. And Jay would say uh, to clients, he said, if I told you we were only going to meet once, what would you want to focus on then? Oh, in that case, I got to talk to you about. And he wouldn't even say we are, just if I told you. What do you want to get to? What's most important? What's right on the top of the list there? And oftentimes, one is what people need. Uh, if they need more, you know, we're saying we can do more. Uh, it's it's, it's been fundamentally uh, contributing to to my work and uh, uh, and how I practice as well. And what what for me is is really important in what you've just said. Uh, certainly, things have a beginning uh, and, and a middle is not hard to to achieve. What seems to be the a problem with a lot of psychotherapeutic practice is that the end is often determined by the clock, uh, yeah. and and so you know we, we've we've all seen the the sort of the the cinematic sort of sending up of this where it's, it's done quite seriously, but it does, someone's halfway through you know obviously having some sort of serious moment, and they say, oh I'm sorry uh, that's the end yeah. of the session uh, we'll work on it and see you next week. So this idea that that you work towards some conclusive, um, uh, some conclusive moment uh, where the where the client is 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 a is, has got something that they can take away and work with, or got some sense of achievement. How do you find that in 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 Italy, um, the the receptiveness of the public? Because this is one thing that Michael was alluding to there. Both both the therapists were saying, "Oh no, it takes more," and I can imagine you know cognitive behavioral therapy is based on sort of twelve weeks, which is all based on neuroscience and the way things but this time thing is 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 invented but then patients always want it you know surely i've got this big problem and it you know i need years of therapy um what was sort of the response in both those attitudes of therapists and of uh, the expectations of clients that you found in uh, europe I think the clients are more uh, interested in single-session therapy than therapists. Uh, as my colleague and friend uh, Federico Piccirilli says, uh, suppose you go to, um, to a dentist and uh, he says to you, oh, yeah, I can help you with your problem and we can try to help you in one session or in uh, 100 session. What do you choose? <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty quick. You get away from my mouth. Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you talk about single session therapy, which is a name that is very clear, is very transparent. You read it and you know what you uh, what you will have. Uh, clients are at least curious. Um, often they, as I saw, as I say, as I say, they call a especially to have a single session therapy. Mm. Uh, sometime when we opened the session uh, telling, um, hi, my name is Flavio. I want to help you in this session. Uh, we will do um, all the possible to achieve what you want at the end of the session. If we can do that, we're okay. We just say goodbye. Uh, if we need another session, we will just schedule another appointment. 
sometimes clients say, oh, but my problem is so complicated. I don't think that one session will be enough. And uh, it's important to say, yeah, sure, of course, uh, we just try and then we will see what is um, uh, what we came from this, uh, this, this meeting, at least we scheduled another appointment, as I said. And um, it's, but it's interesting to see at the end of the session uh, when it happens, uh, the clients say, oh, well, maybe you are right. Maybe I haven't resolved my problem, but now I, I think that I have some strategy or that I have some new ideas. So yes, I want to try to go alone. And uh, in this, the therapist mindset, the therapist mindset is very important because if you set the ground, opening, saying that the single session is a possibility, uh, ending, saying, asking to the client, do you think is enough? Do you think you want other other sessions? Of course, my door is always open. In these ways, you, you set the ground and you create the possibility for the client to choose to have just one session, to uh, look in different ways to uh, his problem and to the therapy um, for cultural things. Many clients also in Italy, which has a very strong psychoanalytic tradition, um, clients think that psychotherapy is something long. Uh, you can do psychotherapy in a few sessions, but it takes for for almost all the clients, it takes very, very few efforts to uh, convince them that maybe one session can, uh, can, can be enough, can be all that they need. Always specifying that uh, you will be there if they want other sessions or if they have other problems. We did, um, we are um, closing our research we did in, in Italy. We have three groups of psychotherapists. One group is um, in one group, the, the subject, uh, the clients, receive a questionnaire and the opening of single session therapy and the handing. And in the second group, uh, there is just the opening and the handing, and the third group, just the, just the handing. And we discovered that in the very first uh, group in which there is the questionnaire, which means it's a, a paper on which we uh, anticipate the possibility that the, the session is um, could be one session could be enough, and we also ask some questions to make it possible. Like, uh, what is the most important problem you want to address in this session, and what is the most important goal you want to reach at the end of the session, and so on. We we discovered that the first group. Um, have many, many more people that thinks that at the end of the session, they don't need other sessions. So mindset is everything. And talking with our friends, uh, Martin in Sweden, Martin Soderquist, or Wendy Dryden in England, uh, it seems to me that the results are similar. Clients are very interesting in what can help them in less time. Yeah, yeah. I found this, if yeah. we would ask, at the beginning of a, the session, when they come in, we're doing a little bit of an intake, but purpose of our meeting today is briefly to find out one what we can do in one and let's see if we can get it done. That was very helpful. But now a number of clinics, uh, including uh, some of what Fla Flavio is the director of the uh, Center for Single Session Therapy. So sometimes patients will call, or clients, if you call them that, will uh, will contact a place knowing they want a single session. So they're electing. So they've already sort of pre-qualified uh, themselves to say, this is what I want. But even people that do not come deliberately for a single session, when they hear it's an option, Oh, well, sure, if we can, that, that sounds good. I'd rather have one session with the dentist than 100, thank you. And uh, so let's do it as, as efficiently as we can. Uh, so I think it's very important 
that I'm emphasizing that clients have the choice, that it's not forced, that it's not you only get a session or one shot or, or however you want to put it. Uh, and that's one of the common misunderstandings that that people have, that single session means only one session. Yes, you're getting one and you're out. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's really... But but it does uh, it does highlight the fact that there is that the, the stereotypes we're talking about that need to be explained that need to be eased in that mindsets need to be adjusted to uh, and so this is why it, it's ongoing work and we well I mean we all know we could have a, a, another session completely about this about things that become stereotypes things that become uh, accepted forms and and then when we actually look at them we realize that that it, it it's just habit it, it it really it doesn't have a, a solid foundation but I, I, I just want to direct us yes I just want to get onto the back to the book a little bit um because we we're talking about that I mean these things we've been talking about are discussed beautifully in the preface and the introduction uh, uh we, we won't really talk about therapeutic relationship because I think people know about that a lot but that's your first chapter, and that's really important. But I would like to just, uh, uh, and we've talked a bit about mindset, your third chapter, uh, third discussion, um, And uh, but I really would like to see, hear your thoughts a little bit conversationally here about the second chapter on diagnosis because What's this is one of the bugbears. So the word diagnosis comes from Greek and Latin words Via nosos, via or dia, which means way or path, and nosos means knowledge, or in modern parlance, information. So a good diagnosis would be a way of looking that shows you a path to help the person. It's not name-calling, it's not pejorative, it's not putting them in one of the big categories of they're schizophrenic, they're obsessed, they're depressed, they're whatever, but it's trying to individualize to what would be most useful. Uh, And diagnosis oftentimes comes from our theory or our mindset. And if you only have the DSM categories and you're trying to slot them into which DSM category, oh, that one takes three years, that one takes two years, that one takes two years, as opposed to what would be helpful for this person with this problem, with this clinician, in this situation today. And so I think the idea of diagnosis, Fabio and I have been talking a lot about this recently, and we're going to write another paper about it, I think. But the idea of diagnosis is very important because we get trained into diagnosis, which is really pathologization or whatever that is pathologizing. And, and so we're always looking for what's wrong rather than what's right. And one of the things we try to do in a single session is help the person realize what their strengths, their capacities, their abilities are to bring out the best in the person, to bring out their strengths uh, rather than just uh, dragging them through the mud. And we've got, we're going to ask you all these questions. If you weren't depressed when we start, you will be by the time we're done. If we ask you enough miserable questions about what's gone wrong, where most people would much rather look at what skills they have, what's gone right that would would be helpful. So yeah. I think something it to just, think about in diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, it brings to mind the Erickson and Erickson sort of statement. I know I throw it around a lot, but just uh, that the task of of the therapist is to to put the the activity, the 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 energy of of therapy to create effectiveness back to the client. Yes. And it seems to me that with single session therapy, that's a lot of the purpose to to uh, uh, as quickly as possible or as as effectively and efficiently as possible, give the client a sense that they can actually now go away and work with this because uh, I mean I uh, always go back to the 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 analogy but actually the literal thing when I suddenly heard on a radio program that antibiotics only actually uh, kill about 25% of the bacteria in the body uh so antibiotics are not so it's not the external things like it's not the therapist that does everything but certainly they add that necessary amount uh, because as as the person who was describing this saying we have our natural capacities and our natural strengths and things uh and he said but unfortunately that little 25% is what can kill you so sometimes it's just that little bit uh that the therapist 
changes, shifts, alters, that then puts the client back in the on the the road. What's your where am I going, Flavia? With that, is that making sense to you? It makes a lot of sense, um, and you know, uh, this chapter uh, is very is very important for me, and um, I was. Um, Still today, um, I was um, in this very moment. I was very uh, interested in what you say, Richard. What Michael was saying, because um, diagnosis, I think, was something I really want to explore deeply uh, when I start to talk about this chapter uh, with Michael. Well, when I start to converse with Michael about these stems. Um, I think that I I really wanted to understand something that affects the clinic, affects the work you do with your clients. Um, of course, um, I've read many books of um, brief therapy, and I saw that there wasn't often there wasn't the classical traditional. Um, way of put a diagnosis. And I knew that uh, brief therapy, strategic therapy, solution-focused therapy were are not normative models. And so it was uh, um, it, it was clear to me why they uh, don't talk about a borderline disorder, uh, uh, anorexia, and cigar. But in the same moment, uh, sometimes I, of course, face the failure during my my practice, you know. And uh, uh, I think that I was looking for what could be good from other way of doing therapy, like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think I thought that if... In diagnosis, there was some, in traditional diagnosis, nosographic diagnosis, there was some secret that uh, we miss in brief therapy. And so I want I wanted to explore what, to better understand what diagnosis was, is, and why brief therapy decide to ignore uh, diagnosis if, Doing this could be a loss for us. And uh, in the conversation with Michael, uh, I, I think uh, um, our conversation highlighted me that diagnosis is a way to a way to operate, a way to work. You can use, of course, a traditional way of uh, diagnose to, to traditional way to put a diagnosis. But as Michael says, is uh, a way that must conduce you, that must lead to you to doing something. If you want to use uh, the DSM, uh, you can do that, surely. Of course, you don't want to, you wouldn't um, label your client with a, a word. And... Uh, but if you want to use that, you can do that. But you must ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I using this tool and not another tool? Is this tool, is this kind of a diagnosis uh, useful, more useful for me, for my client to solve this problem quickly? And also, what implies diagnosis? As Michael said, if I use a model to label people to that uh, uh, imply that that client, that person is sick. Uh, maybe I'm raving, uh, I'm um, making real something that it's not real or that it's real in a very different way. We used to talk the, uh, we used to use the um, uh, medical way of talking but we're about levers. We are talking about uh, uh, meanings. I think that there is an interview that Michael did to Michael White. And Michael White said, 
uh, it's very different talking about livers, talking about uh, this thing that I can touch, that I can see, uh, talking about meanings, about relationship, about uh, how I, my values, how I think is right or bad. And so the problem with uh, a kind of diagnosis is that uh, treat the problems of people like this thing, like if I can touch this and this, um, yeah, th this reveals the, the problem of use label of use system thinking to help uh, the therapist that but that's hand to uh, amplify the problems. I, I don't know if I... I no, 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 it's, no it's fabulous. That's fabulous. I mean, I just quickly in my head, I go, yeah, when we're talking about the cup and things, we're talking about closed linear systems. And when we're talking about meanings, we're talking about these open complex systems. And uh, we mix those two up. And that's a discussion that I've had many times on air. But uh, Michael, you're champing at the bit there. Steve DeShazer, uh, in an interview we did, pointed out that most of us do not function as mental health professionals. We function as mental illness professionals. We look for what's wrong rather than what's right. And when I would ask Steve questions about diagnosis, he would say, I don't know what that means. And he wasn't being disrespectful. What he was saying was, I want to find out from the client, what do you want to get from therapy? And what have you been doing so far that could take you in that direction? What are the exceptions to the problem? What skills do you have, et cetera, et cetera? So rather than looking at the a diagnosis, and that tells us techniques to apply to treat it like an antibiotic on an infection or something, uh, rather trying to bring out the best in the person. Some of this I've translated it in my mind into a, a diagram that I use a lot of times that I call the context of competence. And you have to imagine three circles, and one of them uh, is the client's good. One is the alliance between us. Another is the client's goals or the problems, but what do they want to get? And the other is what skills or resources they might have, and how can we bring them together? If they could bring their resources and their goals together on their own, they would not be in our office. They'd be doing it and be done. So if they only, uh, if they have goals and we have an alliance, but we don't talk about the resources, then we're just doing pathology. What's wrong? And oh, that's miserable. And if we just talk about their resources, we have an alliance, we talk about the resources, but don't talk about their goals then we can have a nice mutual admiration society. We can be friendly, but why? Are, what's the therapy here? What are we working toward, or what are we? What are we trying to to apply? I'm not anti-diagnosis. Uh, I'm anti-destructive diagnosis or path, overly pathologizing diagnosis. I think we all have, even if the diagnosis is something as vague as it's more like a theory, like oh, they're not using their resources as well as they could, or they're overlooking something. We have some idea that they need something to move forward. Uh, and the idea is to try to figure out what's the move forward instead of what's holding them back. It's much more of a shift to the positive rather than, rather than trying to reduce the negative, it's trying to build on the positive. Most uh, of the reduction, yeah, and reductionism we all hate. Uh, now, look, time's ticking along. So, we, we uh, uh, and, and we know that unfortunately, the, I want to the, say a couple the, other the, things about the book very quickly. Yeah. I, well, I just I want wanted to, to ask a quick yeah. sorry, Mike, I just before you go, and I know there's some things, and please keep that as we'll do the summary, because there is one more section. I don't want to wind up just yet. Uh, because, um, uh, and we've done some lovely things there, but chapter eight, uh, which is in the second section, which is the the the, the content, just <laughs> tickled me. And I know you've talked about it, and we know each other really well. But yeah. it's ways to increase or decrease effectiveness, or uh, one might call the common errors. And uh, this, I think, is fabulous. That you really, of course, you talk about all the good things and how you can do it, but you take the bravery to just say, "This is how you can get it wrong." Um, tell me a little bit about what. 
what gives you the courage to 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 point out and what's the benefit for the for the readers so one of my heroes in the field is or was because he's passed away jay haley mm-hmm. and i and jay wrote a paper on how to be a failure and, and how to be a how, how to be a supervisor and know nothing and how to be a failure as a th- and he wrote these things and they were tongue in cheek but but they were ironic he was pointing out here's ways to screw it up and so Flavio and I, teaching workshops, we made a list of common, frequently asked questions, common things people would ask. And uh, then we found kind of cute or clever ways to, to, to put them in the, ne- in the negative, if you will, of don't do this, don't do that. Uh, uh, tell yourself that you must do a single session. It has to be only one session. Uh, 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 you only should use your favorite model of therapy. If they don't fit in your model, screw them. It's their fault. <laughs> it's just uh, your problem, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, tell them at the beginning that they're only going to get one shot. You know, one session, well, what if I need more? I can pay for more. No, you only get one. Or you start the session by saying, before we begin, I'd like to say that if you want real help, we'll make a bunch of appointments. But if you just want to skim over this, we can do it in one. Oh, I don't want to do that. So you find some way to undermine it. And we, we made a list of some others. Uh, disregard reality. Get into their fantasy life. And what was your infancy and all that? Instead of talking about what's going on in their life and what their options are now. Uh, I think these are fabulous, Mike. I know you, you might find another one just, just while I'm looking there. But, yeah. but just this idea, as you say, tongue in cheek, but actually you go, actually, what is it? Many a thing said in jest. And uh, uh, that's a chapter yeah. to read just to, to, to not accost yourself or assault yourself with the stupid things you can do. But then you look at those points and you go, oh, actually, that would be stupid. And I think I could have done that occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like the whole book a whole lot. There's several chapters that, to me, sing to me even more than others. One is the one that you like, the common errors in single-session therapy. Uh, I think the chapter that Flavio is the first author of, the one on the logics, what is the purpose or the objectives behind the techniques? Why are you using this? So it's the why, not just the how, is brilliant. And when a a shortened version appeared in a journal, one of the journal reviewers said, I'm going to assign this to all of my students forever. This is vital information. I like that one. And then uh, I like the whole book. But I also like much the fifth chapter where Flavio gets me to tell a bunch of stories about people I I knew along the way and Steve uh, DeShazer and Bob and Mary Goulding and Carl Whitaker. and each of the stories is something about go for the experience, uh, follow a path with heart, look for their strengths, uh, keep your eye on the prize, uh, have have love as you're working with the people. And I think that's what all of this is really about, is trying to bring out the best in people and bring, partly by bringing out the best in ourselves, meeting them in our, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean to be you know, too vague and say our higher self or something like that, but bring out the best in people rather than just trying to muck around and pretend that we're medical doctors trying to figure out what's wrong with your liver or your bone or, you know, or something like that. I think much more what we're doing is uh, creating a world with the person. How you look influences what you see and what you see influences what you do. And some stories are better than others because they get people to look at their strengths. They have hope. They have optimism. Uh, they have encouragement. Uh, uh, so that is sort of what a lot of the book is about. And you know, that, that chapter on common errors. Uh, I like it because I tend to be kind of ironic and satiric and sarcastic, and I could just yeah. hear Jay chuckling. Uh, uh, I once sent Jay Haley a Christmas card. Uh, uh, we, we knew each other back and forth. And I sent him a Christmas card, and it's at the manger in Bethlehem. And uh, Mary saying, uh, Jesus, close the door. Where were you born? In a barn? You know? <laughs> and it's, and it really, it's sort of funny, but what is really funny about it is that it gets into the, the humanity of the whole situation and different ways to look at it. And what, what uh, 
Milton Erickson talked about a lot was that people come in with one, he didn't use the word mindset, but one frame of mind. He said, the basic problem is rigidity, that people are locked into a way, and our job is to open the door, if you will, to, to help them have other ways of operating, reminding them of things, whether they've already done them or they want to do them or they, somebody knows them. And I think that's what a lot of the single session uh, therapists that we've been uh, talking about. Uh, I think it's fabulous, Michael. And Michael's just on a, sort of a couple of favorite chapters there. Um, Flavio, uh, you need to be uh, given the same opportunity. Yes. Uh, do, do you have a, a favorite chapter or two or just uh, something, uh, the, a comment or two you want to make as we sort of wrap, move towards our, our wrap-up? We'll have final words in a second. But what are your chapters? I think uh, I like the book because it's uh, um, so conversational, you know, and um, it's a kind of book that you can read one time um, under uh, on the beach, uh, uh, just like uh, a very quick reading. But you can also read it uh, again and again and find something uh, deeper and deeper and interesting. Uh, but if I have to pick a chapter, I probably will pick the uh, mindset chapter because mindset for me is uh, a very interesting topic in the last uh, two years, three years, I don't know. Um, uh, understanding how the mindset can shape the therapy. Um there is a chapter I wrote for uh, the last book Michael, Jeff Young, and Paul Rycroft um, uh, wrote about single session therapy, which is, yeah, that's a book. Yes. Which beautiful. Is the vital role of the therapist mindset. And there is an example I, I bring in that book, in that chapter, that was, yeah, that's one. <laughs> That was um, the construct of uh, flight in uh, health. Um, this is a construct uh, invented by psychoanalysis um, because, you know, for um, psychoanalytic theory, you can't solve a problem in a few sessions. Right. And so how can you answer, how can, how can you reply to uh, clients that after one session or two, three, four sessions says, uh, I'm good. I think my my problem is solved. I have no more symptoms. You have to uh, invent a construct, a new reality that um, can adapt your therapy or, or better, that can adapt the reality, the facts to your therapy. So you can answer, you can say, oh no, 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 you are you you haven't resolved your problem. You just are flying in the house. It's it's fake. You have to continue for the next four years. And, <laughs> and this is very interesting because if you have this mindset, if your mindset uh, brings this kind of constructs, you will continue to see your clients and your clients probably continue to see you. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, yesterday I was a little sad. Probably that's a symptom that I still need to solve my uh, conflicts or something like that. But if you have a single session mindset or a brief therapy mindset, you see uh, what clients say is uh, in different ways. You can approach to a session saying, maybe it can be the last one. So um, thinking about mindset, thinking about uh, how we create realities, how we as therapists create a different therapy from clients to clients, it's probably what is to me, what is more powerful in this book and uh, in general in uh, psychotherapy thinking. Beautiful. Michael, I, I think we if I could leave it to you to do a bit of a, a wrap-up and uh, and the, those those final words and, and those and of course you've got another comment there that you want to make, so please jump uh, that one in. As well. my, my, yeah. yeah. I want to emphasize that this book is really a collaboration between Flavio and myself. It's, it's very, very important. Uh, 
and what, I've read the book now several times. Not only did I write it, but then I read it. And this is a book I wish that I had read 30 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago. This is fun. Uh, Flavio and I, uh, in the interviews and the way we polished them up, we are on fire. We're, 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 it's bright. It's interesting. We talk a little bit about principles and there's interesting case examples. And then we point out the parallel process going on between us uh, as we're talking and how that's, oh, we're taking a detour. We don't need to take this detour. We're doing it. All of those kind of ideas. So I think that's that's very uh, important. This is also the only therapy book I think I've ever read where we tell jokes. There, <laughs> yes. we, we tell we use them. They're not just jokes that you hear the one about, but they're jokes for a purpose. Oh, well, I had this resistant patient. And if you said it directly about an indirect communication, I, t- I, I made this quip or I made this remark and he it soaked in. He got it in a different way. Not that you should necessarily use the identical jokes, but it's giving readers permission. Oh, yes, I should bring everything I know to bear to help this person. And it might be that I know something about gardening, or I know something about uh, military maneuvers, or I know something about, uh, you know, or a joke, or a sports event, or uh, or what or whatever. Uh, and during, and during, I, I don't, I didn't, I don't know, I don't remember if you mentioned that, Michael, during the editing part, when we uh, put the, uh, um, the recordings on paper, we had a lot of notes and a lot of references to uh, enrich the chapter because we, during our conversation we talk about oh yes that there is that book and so we put the book in the, the reference of course it's, it's like the, it's like the two therapists the older one and the younger one but they're both their friends and they're bright are talking to each other and you get to sit in the back seat and listen yeah and we're talking and if you really want to look it all up we have footnotes that can tell you the references and more examples and so if it's scholarly but it's not pedantic some of the yeah. other books that i have done i'm very fond of but they're very scholarly and they have 1500 references and and i'm quoting everybody and showing you know where all the origins of all this come from where this one is much more lively uh yeah, well, I actually find the footnotes really, really interesting because it, it's a yeah. third conversation. Uh, it's a third yeah. participant in the conversation. I, I wish and, there was a way that people could write in footnotes to the footnotes. You know, when you mentioned that, that made me think of so-and-so. And then we'd have sort of a dialogue. That's what we do in the workshop. People add, add and we scaffold up. That's yeah. right. And, and everything else, as soon as you put it on paper, there's always something more. But I have, uh, and similarly now, uh, uh, even though we've had this conversation, there's always something more, but not for now. <laughs> now we have to wrap up. Uh, oh, there's one more, one more thing, and I'm going okay, to ask Flavio to explain it. And the one more thing is, there have been three international single session therapy conferences. First was in Melbourne, second was in Banff, Canada, then we went back to Melbourne, and the next one is going to be in Rome. And many of the leading People in the, in the field and others are going to be presenters and speakers. We're all going to be there in person. And maybe Flavio can tell us more about who, where, when, how, why. Yeah, just that. just give us the quick elevator speech on the on on yeah. the the promotional the promotional blurb on that one. You only got a couple of minutes. Yeah, it's the first in Europe in all the most important single session therapies, single session authors, and also the a uh, new single session therapist uh, in the field with a lot of uh, research and things to say are there so you want to be there and so what are the what what dates is that going to be on Flavio uh 10 11 and 12 of November of November 10 11 12 of November fantastic yeah. i think my daughter's getting married that weekend so there uh-huh. you go. Okay. <laughs> hopefully but uh, i'll think of you while you're going and and we're uh-huh. about to and it's going to be in rome 
And I think it's a fantastic right. thing. And uh, if you're actually in America and you've not been there or different parts of the world and you haven't been to Italy before, which is a place I go to now quite regularly as well, Flavio and I meet each other over there and we met recently, we'll do again. It's a fantastic trip to take. But of course, if you're in Europe, it's just like uh, driving down the road, everything, you two hours and, you, and you're, you're in Italy. So so make this a big thing. But for now, we're, we have to wind up uh, and uh, Michael Hoyt and Flavio Canistra, I can't thank you enough for this wonderful, wonderful session today. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, it was a great session, Matt. I'm so sorry you missed it, but thanks for coming back to at least close the session with me. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. You know, we talked all around. We talked about their relationship. We talked about um, uh, aspects of, of single-session therapy. Uh, we talked about what goes right, what goes wrong. Um, we talked about all kinds of really interesting aspects, and they just covered an enormous amount of ground and and, and just showed this idea of thinking that something almost complete could be achieved in one session. Yeah. Maybe it needs more than one session, but it, that each session is a complete experience. Well, I mean, in my client responsiveness, that's exactly what I'm on about all the time. So it's fabulous stuff. I've learned a lot and gained a lot from Michael. Uh, and now Flavia. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. Now, look, if you enjoy what we're doing here, you can support us by going across to the scienceofpsychotherapy.net, and that's our academy site, and you can become a subscriber there uh, for $12 US a month, and we you'll have access to our entire library. We've got a huge archive that we've been gathering together since 2013, and um, come and be part of the tribe. We'd love to have you with us. Indeed, I mean the, the the beauty now we we have the the monthly uh, the monthly membership is is if you've got something in particular that you want to have a look at, you can come in and just have a look at mm-hmm. that and stay with us a month. Uh, and we kind of take the challenge: can we keep you interested? And of course, we've got plenty of people who've been with us for years, yeah. Uh, and we're producing new material every month, so it's uh, well worth the visit. Come on down, join us, keep us going. We we like to do that. We love what we're doing. Okay, thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks, Richard. And- And uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.